Welcome to CPF Firewire, a podcast from California professional firefighters where we discuss a wide range of issues affecting firefighters, our unions, our families, and the communities we serve. Hi, and welcome to another episode of CPF Firewire, a podcast from the California professional firefighters. I'm Brian Rice, and I'm the president of CPF. As California firefighters, all our careers have been touched by the California Firefighter Joint Apprenticeship Committee, otherwise known as CALJAC. It's a partnership between labor and management and has significantly improved the fire service over many decades. The mission of the CALJAC was to bring diversity to the fire service, and it has grown to include standardizing firefighter training, innovative recruitment processes, and much more. CPF is the labor sponsor of the CALJAC, and the California State Fire Marshal is the management sponsor. As a labor sponsor, it's important that our members are aware of what CALJAC does and the resources available to our locals. Today, I'm joined by Executive Director of CALJAC, Yvonne De La Pena. Yvonne, thank you for joining us today. It's great to sit down and talk. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You know, we've had a lot of, we have a lot of new members, but we've had a lot of, um, we have a lot of new leaders and we've had, I know that I've signed several MOUs recently, but for our new members, can you explain a little bit what the CALJAC is and what it does? Sure. So in a nutshell, the CALJAC is a labor management apprenticeship training program designed specifically for the fire service. And most people who hear apprenticeship, they think of the building trades, electricians, iron workers, carpenters. It's just like those programs, except that we're a public employee apprenticeship training program. And so we have a little bit of a different nuance where we actually don't do the hiring for the apprenticeship for the employer, but we're providing them candidates that are qualified um, to go into the apprenticeship. And it's basically one generation training the next. You could use um, an example would be maybe a firefighter EMT. They start their job. They go to a fire academy. They get a concentration of training. They get the basic training in their academy. They're not fully trained in every aspect of the job, there's no way they can be first day, you know, first, you know, year on the job, you know, ready to go as a firefighter EMT. So they need supplemental training and they need work experience. And that's what the apprenticeship model does for them. It gives them continued training that occurs while they're on the job. And then they get the work experience, which really helps them to understand that training. And it's all done with a mentor, a journey person who's showing them the way, you know, through their career. It, it, really, it really speaks to having an apprenticeship training program in the fire service that it makes, it does make a difference in our profession. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. it, it is, like you said, it is that journey level firefighter working with, or it could be a company officer Correct. working with um, newer firefighters as they come in. It, I, I have to say too, in all my years of union work, local union work, and then CPF years ago as a vice president, and being involved with you as local 522's president, and now as CPF president, that that for me has has also been a highlight. When we think of um, labor management, we always think union, but one of the things that that is unique about the CALJAC is it puts labor and management together at the table to collaborate and to work together. Do do you think that that has helped us as a profession, as labor and as management to have better dialogue, 
to understand ourselves better and, and really to have a, a better workforce from the seat that you sit in, how, how do you see it? I absolutely see that um, apprenticeship training has been some a place where labor and management can come together on issues. Uh, what I see is that everybody in the fire department, all the way from the firefighter to the captain to the fire chief, are concerned about training and safety. Those are their number one concerns. And I think that it's something they all agree on. So when you can bring a topic like that to the table and have collaboration, that really strengthens the relationship. So then when you get to the bargaining table on other issues, you've developed a mutual respect over topics that you know you can agree on. And I think it has helped. And I've seen it over the years um, in, in working with labor and management, even when they didn't agree on specific topics, they could come together on training and safety. I'm going to switch gears. Okay. And because this is an area that um, labor and management, when we have our CalJAC MOUs in place and we have subject, the mm-hmm. subject committees, or labor and management part- partnership at the local level. And that is an area that can sometimes get lost or cannot be fully understood. So I want to ask you, can you explain the primary role of the subject committee and the makeup of it? I can. And what's funny is people always say, where does the term subject come from? Because it's kind of an odd name for a committee. But subject comes from the fact that at the state level for the Joint Apprenticeship Committee, um, we're an approved training program by the Division of Apprenticeship Standards. And so that as a training program, we have to have a labor management committee. And that's at the state level. So you as president are appointing seven labor reps and um, the state fire marshals appointing seven and management reps. This committee is responsible to ensure that we have the standards for training um, for each occupation. But once that's set in motion, then it's really up to the department to ensure that those training standards are being met at the local level. So we don't really have a way for this 14-member committee to go throughout the state and go to every fire department and make sure that they're doing the training and that they have training plans for every occupation and that that training's happening. So we have a subcommittee, a subjack. And so we give that authority to the fire chief and labor president to appoint those members, and they're a subcommittee of the big jack. And so at the local level, that committee is um, ensuring that the, the training plans are being met and, and, and written and that the apprentice is getting the training that they're supposed to be get, getting trained in. And in fact, that everybody in that occupation is actually um, doing the same training because that's really what the apprenticeship program is about. It's about standardized training and everybody's speaking the same language. So Yvonne, I want to go a little bit deeper into the subject and, and how it works at the local level with um, the local the local union and the local fire department and they're working together because they think we have a it can be we get some misunderstanding about it and and at, at sometimes I even get confused with it so if you might when the money when the jack money hours are reported the jack money comes back kind of walk us through how that's supposed to work 
Okay, so in the state budget, there's a line item for apprenticeship training, and that is for all approved apprenticeship training programs throughout the state. So that's for the iron workers, the pipe fitters, the carpenters, the firefighters. So those dollars are at the state level, and you have to be an approved apprenticeship training program. When your department submits hours to our office, and we are ensuring that those hours are accurate and correct for the occupation, the type of training that they're doing. And then we submit those to the state to get reimbursed. We then give those dollars back to the fire department. So we're actually reimbursing for training that already happened. So if you can think of it as the fire chief is in charge of deciding how they're going to spend their resources for training... The fire chief still has that authority when we're reimbursing. However, the apprenticeship program gives a mechanism for labor to have a voice in that too, because it is a joint labor management agreement that is bringing them to this program. You can't have the apprenticeship program without labor there. Right. So a lot of departments, in terms of best practices, they take their subject, and while they're the the, the committee that's responsible for ensuring the training's occurring and the training plans are happening, they also make recommendations to the department on how dollars can be used to better enhance the training, whether it be through equipment, um, more um, instructors, um, maybe it's curriculum that they need, maybe it's um, the training platform they have that they're using to um, record their training that needs to be upgraded. Whatever those items are, the subcommittee can talk about that it. And then when the fire chief is making decisions about how to use these jack funds, they really have a clear path of how this is really going to enhance the training at their level. So um, that's how many departments utilize it. And I tend to see that those are the programs that work the best, the ones that are really strong and um, having a good labor management communication. It's when they utilize the system that's in place to ensure that they have um, the resources they need to have a robust training program. Which kind of, it goes kind of to my next question. And I know I'm asking you to maybe single a department or two out, but there's got to be a couple of departments that really have, are some very successful examples on the subject, subject committee and the use um, of that reimbursement. Are there any that come to mind? Wow, that is a hard question. But um, I can think of small and large, actually. the One of the largest departments we have is CAL FIRE, and their subject is very robust. They meet quarterly. They go through and they ensure that the training, the same training, is happening at every region through the state. And so, you know, that's a big task there because they have, you know, they're up and down the state and they're ensuring that every apprentice, the apprentice in Reading and the apprentice in Riverside, are getting the same training. So they're they're very active and making sure that that occurs. Um, a smaller department would be maybe Benicia. I mean, Benicia is a great department. They also meet regularly and they evaluate the training process as new recruits come in, really making sure that the quality of training is there. Uh, we have everybody from, um, you know, L.A. City Fire who every request for funds goes through both labor and management through their subcommittee. Uh, we see that in San Diego, San Jose. Um, many departments are utilizing that model and have really made them a success in apprenticeship training. So it really, it really sounds like the big key to that is that as a subject, you meet as labor and management regularly and have those discussions, ideas, and and things that can um, not just strengthen the workforce, but strengthen 
the the service that we prov- that you provide to the community that to me that's kind of the the success of it is yes. that as a subject you have got to hold regular meetings and have that um, interaction with fire administration or you're not getting the most out of it. Right. You need to have the interaction and you have to have the interaction with the apprentices, really making sure that they're getting the quality training that they deserve to do their job well. Yvonne, as the executive director of CalJAC, you know that recruitment and retention can be really difficult for departments. And I know um, the JAC has been very proactive in I'd like to ask you about that. Some of the things that that the Jack program has done through FCTC and and what well, we do. Well, you know, it's it started a, a long time ago when we really got um, invested in this. Is it? It's when the International Association of Firefighters and the International Association of Fire Chiefs developed the candidate physical ability test. So that was a joint labor management task force that developed that test. And it's really become the CPAT. The, the CPAT. It's really become the gold standard throughout the nation. So in California, we started assisting departments by um, providing the test to candidates so, so that when they hired a candidate, they knew they already had the physical ability test. And so we kind of took that one step further, basically because fire chiefs and, and folks in the fire service said, can you maybe do a written test as well? And so uh, we brought together a team of subject matter experts from the fire service, from large and small departments, and we validated a written test. So now we have the physical ability test and the written tests under one roof. And we actually spun it off as the Firefighter Candidate Testing Center because that's what candidates understand a little better than CalJAC, which is hard to explain to a candidate. So when candidates want to get into the fire service, they know they need those two components. But we even took it one step further. As I mentioned, we can't do the hiring for our fire departments, but we can provide them a list of qualified applicants. So we started what we call the statewide eligibility list. This list is candidates who have their CPAT, have their written tests, are 18 years or older, they um, have a driver's license and a high school diploma. They also input into the database other qualifications they have, whether they have firefighter one, EMT, paramedic, all those types of things and what type of experience they have. A fire department can start utilizing our um, statewide eligibility list and then when they do their recruitment, they simply say that this is a minimum requirement or they can... They They can invite applicants from the list to apply to them specifically. They can have open recruitment, and they don't have that stale list that has to be on the shelf there for three years, and by the time they get to the third year, everybody they're calling already has jobs or isn't interested anymore. So it keeps the list fresh. And then we can do joint recruitment so that we can try to get more diversity onto that list by us recruiting for the list and then recruiting with fire departments who are also doing a lot of outreach and have some innovative programs. Each fire department gets to benefit by other fire departments' good work. So we're kind of all realizing, I think at one time, you know, I've been with the organization for over 30 years. At one time, used to be fire departments saying, well, I don't want... Um, them to have my candidate and, you know, there's right. all this competition. Bottom line is they know everybody is applying everywhere. So I don't think we have that same type of competition between fire departments and everyone's just looking for the best candidate. So FCTC's really been the source to get that to fire departments. How many, how many departments across the state 
um, participate in the process that you that you just described or subscribe to using the um, candidate eligibility list and, and are involved in FCTC? Right now, we have 115 fire departments throughout the state utilizing it, and it's growing every day. I mean, the, the concept of the statewide eligibility list has only been around for about four and a half, five years. Mm-hmm. So it's relatively new. And um, to have 115 departments already utilizing it and utilizing it successfully uh, has been um, a great um, win for us because, again, these are our future uh, apprentices. And now we're getting to know the candidates at a level before employment, uh, and it's really great to walk into a fire department and see somebody who's hired and is one of the apprentices, and I'm like, gosh, I remember seeing you at a career expo. So it's very gratifying. If a department contacted you and said, we'd like to be involved in the candidate eligibility list and utilizing FCTC, what steps do they have to take and, and how long does it take them to come to an agreement and be number 116 or number 117? It's so easy. I mean, really just call our office. Our program director is Mitch DeAnda. And if a fire department would like us to come out and talk to, usually we'll talk to fire management, labor, and HR, usually all together at one time, give them the lowdown. And literally that day they can sign up and be participating in FCTC. It's, it's very easy very and very easy. straightforward. Yep. So Yvonne, I mean, everything you just described, that's, um, that's a lot. And it's a lot of administrative work. What's the cost to the department? Nothing, absolutely nothing. It it really is what we need to be doing to recruit the next generation of apprentices, and it's all part of the program. Do you, I'm going to go back to um, the, uh, and I always get the name wrong, um, the Pre-Employment Academy. And I know you and I have talked, and, and this is a conversation, so I'm not holding you to anything, but we talk about when we talk about diversity in the fire service, we talk about um, groups of people that are within our community and maybe under or not represented in our workforce. It can be gender-based, um, but really trying to get or have departments have the opportunity to reflect the community that they serve. And, and one of the things with the success of um, the pre-employment academy with coming out of there with an EMT one and and a couple of commitments from departments mm-hmm. that said if you, uh, Sacramento Fire being one that um, if you're a successful candidate you got an interview and I believe Sacramento has hired how many they've hired four and I believe there's another four in the process in the right process now. yeah so. do you think and and this is this is a um, it's a big lift do you think in the future that we may be able to jump into paramedicine. To, I mean, EMT is a big, big deal. And you and I, we're just talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like, holding you to anything, but yeah. you, what would it take to, to do something like that? And that's a, that's a pretty big dream, but it, right. I, I just, I honestly feel in my gut that if, if we're going to really attack the issue of diversity in our workforce, w- w- the, the California Joint Apprenticeship um, program is going to be at the at the center of it, and it just it's it's something that's spinning in my mind. So it definitely takes um, 
you know, everyone's efforts to increase diversity. You know, as we've been um, deploying the firefighter candidate testing service centers with our statewide eligibility list and, and more and more departments are subscribing to utilizing that list, we're seeing that there's more ways we can be working together I've had department after department come talk to me and say, hey, can we do an EMT academy with you? Can we do a, a paramedic academy with you? We need resources and assistance with that. We would love to get into that business. However, our primary mission is apprenticeship, and that's right. you're employed. Pre-apprenticeship is a huge component, though, because we are, like I said in the beginning, we can't do the hiring, but we can help our fire departments. So it's really incumbent upon us, and one of the missions of the apprenticeship program is to help with that pre-employment piece because those are going to be our apprentices. And so we want our apprentices to be diverse and we want our apprentices to be successful. We want them to be held to a high standard, have a high standard of training and be successful in their career. So we do have um, a lot of work to do on the pre-employment side. And that's why we do the firefighter candidate testing centers and offer those services. And that's why we have a commission to recruit women for the fire services. And we do um, career expos and meet and greets and mentoring programs. And we do all of those things to help individuals really navigate the system because it's difficult to get into the fire service. And it's even more difficult if you don't have means. Right. If you don't have support, if you don't have family members at home who can help you while you're going to community college or you're trying to get these certifications, your firefighter one, your EMT, your paramedic. So, you know, we started with the EMT. It's been successful. We've had two classes so far, and we had two grants to fund those. We would like to get more grant funding, and I know CPF, I'm putting it back on you now, yep. has been you know, I'm, I'm the advocate for in. that, has been yes. the advocate for helping us to get those dollars. And um, paramedic training is expensive too. I mean, that's one of the barriers for individuals to get into the fire service, and that's why you get limited diversity, is because it's so costly to pay that tuition and to do it while you, you can't be working. It's full time, it's, you know, you, you really have to commit to that. And so some of the things we did in the academy was we did evening classes, we helped with child care, we provided uniforms and the books and the resources to help you be a success if you didn't have the dollars. So I think that's really what made that a success. I think if we could take that model to a paramedic class, that would be awesome. I think that would be definitely the icing on the cake of um, something to do before I retire. But you know, that's getting closer it's all a, the time. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a really, it's a very big lift. And, and I know I put you on the spot a little bit, but it, as far, I would think for all of us as, as far as dreams would go, that, that should be a dream for us. Like I would never try to put a timeline on it, but I would say this, if any of our elected officials, especially at the state level, are listening to this and getting an idea of what the Joint Apprenticeship Committee does and what the potential is, those are that's, a, that's exactly where we go to for grant funding. And maybe if you want to touch a little bit on that, like what did, it, what did the grants cost to run the EMT T academies? And, and, and I don't even want to guess what it would be for an ALS academy. It would certainly be more, but what it takes financially to do it. Right. And it was grant funding. Right. So the, the first grant we got through the chancellor's office under the new and innovative um, grant funds they have for pre-apprenticeship. And I think it was about $400,000 or so. 
But we had a much larger lift in terms of we uh, had 50 candidates the first time. And we also um, had to buy all the initial equipment, you know, all the basic, you know, gurneys and supplies and all of that kind of stuff. So we had a lot more costs the first time. The second time we uh, got a grant, actually it was um, the Republican caucus who put together some legislation and wanted to do something on workforce development. So we got, uh, it was a $300,000 grant. I think we got 250000 And so that was a smaller grant, but it actually did the job. And so um, we graduated, you know, a class just a few months ago with those dollars. Mm -hmm. So we're looking to, you know, continue that type of funding for these grants. I I know that down south, they would love to do this, you know, in the whole LA area. Um, I'm meeting with um, a school district down there who's interested in partnering. So we may see something happen down there. Uh, And I know that CPF has been working on regulations in the EMT to kind of batten down the ability for the apprenticeship um, program to provide paramedic training. So some of those little nuances and some of the things that you and your um, legislative team are working on will help us, you know, get there eventually to possibly do a a paramedic training program as a pre-apprenticeship program. I know that I um, I've spoken with the the political team and with you, and and this is one of the areas that I want to make sure as we begin the second half of the session that that we're ahead of the game and in a position to make those requests and hopefully achieve some grants that, you know, in the future we could see um, an academy in, in, in not just Southern California, but central, but that, uh, that's part of the legislative process. Right. Well, the legislative process is responsible for a lot. I mean, we wouldn't even have the apprenticeship line item budget if not for California professional firefighters lobbying efforts. And in Actually, fact, go back to this. Uh-huh. Tell me about the seat that you have on the apprenticeship committee at the state level. Right. So there's a California Apprenticeship Council that is responsible for the regulatory rules and regulations and appeals process for the whole state of California for all apprentices. So that's for all occupations, not just the fire service. Uh, And it is also a joint labor management committee that gets together. Employers are represented and labor is represented. The governor makes those appointments. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be appointed under um, Gray Davis, Jerry Brown, and now um, Governor Newsom. So I've been on that council for quite some time. And it's been helpful for our program because we have a voice at the table when Mm -hmm. it comes to apprenticeship. A lot of times the direction of how apprenticeship is going um, fits more neatly with the building trades. And so by having our voice there, we're able to ensure that the public sector isn't cut out of the apprenticeship process. And we're also big players in terms of just shaping the, you know, the the framework of apprenticeship in California. California is way above the rest of the nation in terms of um, active apprentices and and what we do here um, in terms of apprenticeship. And the California Professional Firefighters has been the leader in ensuring that there's been funding for apprenticeship. So uh, with that, we've um, gained more support from the legislature over the years and dollars, you know, important dollars that have been going back to fund training for the fire service and building trades for, you know, the last 50 years. So we are really fortunate to have that relationship and have the 
ability to have your legislative team in the halls kind of talking about working apprenticeship. Yeah. Yes. And working with the other lobbyists in the trades. That's been a key relationship and we've appreciated that. How important is our working relationship with the building trades in, a, in the apprenticeship world? Oh, it's, 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 it's very important. I mean, the building trades are huge, obviously, in the apprenticeship trades, and we work together. We're all brothers and sisters yes. together in, in the union, and so I think it's been um, invaluable to have that relationship. In fact, you know, the building trades um, has helped me many times in the apprenticeship council, and we've returned the favor. So it's, it's been a great relationship all the way from the relationship with you and Robbie Hunter, you know, down to the lobbying staff. Um, it's been great. In the apprenticeship discussions and then really looking into the future and protecting the apprenticeship programs as we know them, um, Robbie has been a tremendous ally. And I, I really think going into the future, um, Robbie Hunter, and for those of you who don't know, Robbie's the uh, president of the California Building Trades, which is iron workers, a lot of trades mix in. And uh, he's been a tremendous friend to us. Yes, yep. You know, uh, another aspect of CalJAC is providing world-class training for firefighters. And back several months ago, I was able to attend one of those training events in Southern California. And Yvonne, if you could talk about the number of departments that were involved and the training overall, um, not just what it was, but you know, the funding for it, where it came from, and the value that not only firef firefighters and law enforcement and community members got out of it. Sure. So we've had over the past 10 years a great working relationship with Cal OES, and we've had the opportunity to get many grants um, from Cal OES, and it has enabled us to create some training programs that necessarily wouldn't be out there if we weren't able to create them. And one of the big ones that we have done is unified response to violent incidents. And so we've had several grants where we were doing train the trainers and getting folks out in the field trained on, on the unified response to violent incidents curriculum. But we wanted to take it one step further. So we wanted to have a large scale exercise where there's moulage and victims and you know that realism to, to, to the training. And so we um, worked with the Pasadena Fire Department and Brian Frieders there, who's a deputy chief there, really helped us pull huge all asset. the- Yeah, huge asset. He helped us pull all these pieces together from the local fire agencies and law enforcement agencies. And we had over 130 personnel from law and fire who are coming together to train. And everything from SWAT to CHP to, um, you know, the various fire departments in the surrounding area. And the scenario was set up at the Rose Bowl, a concert, and an uh, active shooter, you know, drives into the crowd, jumps out, starts shooting, and what happens then? So this isn't um, staged at all in terms of nobody actually knows that the fire and law enforcement personnel are coming. They don't know what's going to happen and they don't know who's going to come in where and where the shooting is going to start and stop. So it really gives that realism for them to work on their protocols, you know, communication, how they're going to do the rescue task force concept, how they're going to have unified command, some of these concepts that they've been training in, but they haven't actually got to put into practice in this large scale exercise. So it was a great event. We had over 100 victims there, um, a lot of police and fire, and, and it was a great day. So they were able to really get in there and then they 
they did an after action and talked about lessons learned and they felt that it was very valuable. I mean, we heard from everybody, the fire departments and law enforcement agencies down in that area, how, how grateful they were for that training. To top off that part of it, we also are developing an online module to help reinforce the training that's already occurred. And it's available to all fire departments, whether you're a Jack participating department or not. And, um, and it's free, you know, so um, that's what the grant funds really do is they provide a resource to get some real quality training out there. And so we've been able to do that on several occasions. We have other training programs, you know, um, fighting wildfires and um, some other things that we've put out and that are available as well. But I think that's one of the ones we're proudest of. I, I was, like I said, I was able to attend that event and over the course of career of a career, I've done a lot of large scale drills. Um, that incident at the Rose Bowl and that drill um, from the briefing to the final debriefing and then the things that went on in between the quality of that training um, it really blew me away and and it was a little bit unnerving it was um, yeah, definitely not, not so much the moulage and and the people that were part of the part of the crowd and the victims um, it was just it was a scenario in the incident itself and it it really um, from a, from a field, from a firefighter perspective, if, if you did not, even, even from a cop's perspective, which I'm not, but if you didn't come out of that training session with at least a dozen things that you learned that may save somebody else or save your life um, in the future, that, that's your loss. That was probably one of, in, in, my, in almost my 30-year career, it was probably one of the best training events that I've ever attended. It certainly was the largest scale. And with that, we're running out of time. So I want to do one quick plug. Oh, good. For the Jack Conference? Yes. In fact, you know what, Yvonne? I'm going to let you do it. So um, our 15th biennial CalJack Conference is coming up November 13th through 15th in Rancho Mirage. It's a great conference. We have fire chiefs, labor presidents, training officers, subject members. I mean, all ranks within the fire service come. We usually find anywhere from, you know, eight to 10 personnel from each department come to this conference where they can exchange ideas and talk about what's new in the fire service, what's new in firefighter training. We have a a great lineup of workshops and speakers. In fact, we have kind of a thread of behavioral health. You know, we're just coming off the suicide prevention month in September. And so we have the Cranston firefighter who um, is going to speak about the station fire that happened where over 100, I think 100 people um, perished in that fire. It was very difficult for those firefighters. So he's going to talk about his own personal experience and how peer support was so important in his um, ability to get through that. And so peer support is a huge thing that we're talking about in terms of, again, another thing that the JAC and labor and management are involved in. And we also have a workshop that then takes picks up there as to how to how to deploy your peer support team and what things you should be aware of. We have a couple other workshops, one on implicit bias, one on social media and how that can be harmful to you at sometimes if you're just, you know, throwing out comments here and there and so what to look out for there. There um, can be consequences for anything. There can be consequences, anything. yes. So, um, so we have a lot of great workshops uh, and I think that we have heard feedback from fire chiefs, labor 
presidents, training officers alike, that this is by far one of the best conferences to attend. So we hope everybody is there. That's great. And one last 15th annual, 15th biannual CalJAC conference, November 13th through, through the 15th. 15th. Mm-hmm. We hope to see everybody there. Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us today. And if you want more information on CalJAC or upcoming events, visit CalJAC.org. And I'll spell it for you just in case. C-A-L-J-A-C.org. CalJAC.org. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next month. Thanks, Brian.